Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We hope this week's message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word together. Our mission at Reach is to see lives changed by Christ together in community by loving God, loving people, and reaching our world. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com. So we finished up a series last Sunday called Opportunities and Options, preparing for the opportunities that we're having and the opportunities, I mean, and the options that we created with having a second service. Um, This Sunday and for the next couple weeks, uh, maybe for the next month or so, um, when I'm not doing a series, I do what we call um, Living Jesus is Greater. And what that means is I'm going to preach out of something that you read in the one-year Bible, which we have one left. Y'all can fight over that on the way out on the guest services table. It is free. I ordered eight more, so there'll be some more next Sunday. Uh, But it basically breaks your Bible reading into, if you read every day, you'll read a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament, and Psalms and Proverbs every day. And within a year, you will read all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament, and I think Psalms and Proverbs two or three times. Um, but it's broken into chunks. And what I do during this time is I preach on something you read. So if you're reading the one your Bible this week, you read in 2 Corinthians 7, where I'm going to be preaching out of today. And, and kind of the idea behind that is the Bible isn't just there so that we have it and we do our daily devotions. The Bible's there to speak. And, and, and part of why I want to preach out of something you read is because I believe that God talks to you. Uh, maybe not in an audible voice, but God will instruct you uh, through his word. And we need to be looking at it not just to accomplish a task, for, but for it to speak to us. Um, and we want to deal with that specifically. And so today I'm going to talk about this idea um, that's specific to Romans, I mean not Romans, uh, 2 Corinthians 7, which is godly grief. Um, not many people like pain. Um, I would say most people don't, but I, I believe that um, the right kind of pain can be useful. Um, we live in a pain-avoidant culture. Um, I think the, the U.S. probably more than any other country because we have been, we've had things, and don't, if you hear me say this and your life doesn't reflect that, I'm sorry, but um, we've had it easy in America. Uh, you go to most other countries and the, the struggle, the pain is elevated, but we've We've created this culture where we want to be comfortable. We want our lives to be easy. And so for that to happen, we have to avoid as much pain as possible. But the problem with avoiding pain is that we don't change. If we don't allow pain, um, God gave us pain receptors so that we wouldn't destroy our body. If you remember having little kids or if you could remember back this far, um, the first time you encountered a hot stove, you learned a lesson. Maybe you didn't even enter the kitchen because you were like, I don't want to get anywhere need that near that thing that caused me pain. But the, the pain receptors are put there so that we won't repeat things that may damage us. And for those that have encountered an illness that has been brought to light because of a pain where you've gone to the doctor and they've discovered something bigger, pain in us is meant to draw us to a place so that we could bring correction to it. And the problem a lot of times is we'll avoid pain so much that we'll let that thing in us grow to the point where it overtakes our body. And not to um, directly compare it, but, you know, sin is like cancer. 
for anybody that has cancer or has had cancer before, the earlier you discover a cancer, the higher likelihood you have for surviving it. And so the same thing with sin. The, the more we deal with sin going on in our life, the less likely that it will grow so large that we have no capacity to do anything with it. And so today we're going to spend a little bit of time, actually nine verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And Paul's going to ask us a question. He's going to ask us a question. Are we willing to allow a little bit of pain to point us to a thing that brings good to our life? Uh, Most of the Bible, if you read it from cover to cover, will confront you with things that you believe are okay and good that aren't. Uh, If you're reading um, in the one your Bible right now, you've been reading in Isaiah and Isaiah Isaiah is a, a prophet Um, that gets the luxury of going and telling people that things are getting ready to get real bad. And he declares things that God was going to do to the people of God because they disobeyed, because they didn't listen, because they worshipped other gods. That is what the letter is meant to do. That's what the word is meant to do to us. As we get in it, we should be looking at it going, this is our truth. The problem, we also live in a culture... Um, that whether you know this or not, a culture that is telling you what the truth is every day. If you watch TV, if you have a cell phone, if you turn on the news, if you interact with anything outside of yourself, it has an agenda. It has a truth that it's trying to convince you of, and and mostly it's there, I think, to divide divide us. Um, Like what we saw with COVID. I mean, it, it... whether, whatever your thoughts or feelings on it, our country was divided by things that weren't always true. And then we, we come to find out some of the things that they tell us. And it's the same thing. If you watch a TV show, even the TV shows that you love and are like, this is great, it has an agenda that it's telling you. It's convincing you that lifestyles are all right. It's convincing you that the way you treat other people is all right, the negative ways you treat other people. And we're being taught and trained by that. Well, today, Paul is going to interact with that idea, this idea that godly grief leads somewhere good. Let's pray. Uh, Father, um, do your work in us as we read uh, a response from Paul to the pain that he calls a church that he loves. And Lord, we thank you that some pain does good for us, and I pray that you would do that in us today, that you would cause us a little bit of pain that would respond and help thee in constructive ways and that you would lead us to more life with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're unfamiliar with the books um, of Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, um, Corinth was a church. Um, Actually, I believe, and I could be wrong here, and I always hate making statements that I I didn't write on my piece of paper, uh, but I believe Corinth was the longest place that Paul spent time in. So he went there to preach the gospel. People responded to the gospel. And I believe he spent almost 18 months in this region preaching the gospel, discipling people, building leaders to turn over the church so that he could continue on his missionary journey. Most of the other places that he went to and interacted with, he was there for short periods of time where he was going from one place to the other. But Corinth, he spent a year And half with. In Corinth, just like most other places, churches had issues. 
Uh, they had some pretty bad issues. They had some pretty grievous sexual sin that was going on too that Paul wrote very strongly against. They even He even had to deal with a group of people that thought Paul um, was less than. And we think Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament um, books that are outside of the Gospels. He wrote a lot of those. If you flip through the New Testament, there's a high likelihood that you're going to read something that Paul wrote. In the church that he loved, that he spent a year and a half in, um, they had some what they called super apostles come in. Flashy, well-dressed, well-spoken People that came in and preached a little bit different gospel, but they looked really good. They preached really good. And and Paul was poor. He wasn't well-dressed. He actually worked another job so that he wouldn't burden the church. He he was a tent maker. He, He worked another job and then preached the gospel so that they wouldn't think that he's out there just doing this to collect from them. And he loved them. He wanted the best for them. And he wanted other people to experience Christ like he has. Remember, Paul didn't start off his ministry wanting to be a follower of Jesus. Paul started off, or really from from birth, he he was there. He was a Pharisee. Uh, His mission and goal when the way came about, when Christians came about, was to destroy them, to arrest them, to put them in jail. And God had other plans um, for Paul and knocked him off his high horse, literally and figuratively, uh, and made him an instrument for the gospel. But he wasn't perfect. He had ailments. He was poor. He was not a great communicator. But you think, you know, so? Well, the church, they wanted, they saw these flashy super apostles, and so after Paul had spent all this time building the church leading the church, turning the church over to leaders. When he left and when he came back or was hearing things, the church was asking for a letter of recommendation. I mean, it'd be like me. I planted this church um, almost 11 years ago, literally in two weeks, 11 years ago. Um, it'd be like, hey, I turned the church over to somebody else and I left for a little bit and then I came back to preach or to teach or whatever. And, and you guys were like, hey, can you send us some reference um, letters. Can we? We want to check your credentials. We want to. We want to make sure that it's okay that you come in here. And he was like, "You are my letter of reference. What God had done in you through the ministry that I was doing. This was my thing." And so Paul wrote a letter, First Corinthians, and pretty painful, shocking letter. But he loved the church so much that he he didn't want to grieve them. He didn't want to pain them for no resolve. He he wanted to to bring about a change for what's going on. And so this is where we're going to pick up today in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and starting in verse 2. I'm going to read uh, about six verses all in one chunk, talk about it a little bit, and then the most of it I want to spend is 8, 9, 10, and 11. So starting in verse 2, it says, Paul says, Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I say before that you are in our hearts. He loved these people to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort in all 
in all of our afflictions, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without fear, fighting without and fear within. But God who comforts the downcasted comfort us by coming by the coming of Titus. So he had written this letter and he had been stewing on how are they responding to what I told them. Because he was hurt for them. He, he wanted change. He wanted them to, to respond and, and stop going in the wrong direction. And he was waiting for a response back from Titus. He sent Titus to kind of check it out. And he was concerned on how they were doing. And so he finally gets, um, Titus comes and finally fills him in. In verse 7 it says, And not only in his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. So Titus comes back. He was comforted by the church. And he has told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. See, Paul left. He's doing his missionary journey. He's writing letters back to this church that he wrote. And he was waiting to hear back news that he got from Titus. So he was excited that they hadn't rejected him. They haven't cast Paul off, but they are willing to listen. Verse 8. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, the painful letter they call it, I do not... Regret it. I, I loved this piece. I do not regret it. Have you ever said something and you were like, I don't regret it, but then in the next breath you're like, though, though I did regret it. <laughs> uh, I think that sometimes after I say, th- say things to my wife, like, I, I don't, I, I, it needed to be said, and as soon as I say it, I'm like, it needed not to be said. I think some of our uh, married people understand what I'm talking about. But Paul, he wanted them to respond correctly. He wanted to speak these hard things to them so that there would be change in them, but he also was very grieved that he might hurt them so much so that they would reject him. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. I like this idea, because the two things that we're going to talk about this morning specifically is this idea of godly grief and worldly grief. Godly grief leads to repentance and salvation, which we'll see in the next verse. But godly grief only lasts for a while. Worldly grief never ends unless we ignore it, unless we put it out of our mind. It doesn't go away because there's no resolution to it. The the pain that we feel outside of that. But godly grief is meant to lead us to a place that we see change. Verse 9. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. That godly grief moved them past this point. See, the key point is, Paul wasn't just grieving them for kicks and giggles. And I'm going to talk about this at the end of my message. I'm going to basically say, hey, are we willing to accept godly grief? Are we willing for others, the word, um, someone preaching, to be able to speak into our life, to cause a little grief that moves us to repentance? And I'm going to talk about specifically what repentance is and what it is. 
But if we're just interested, and I'm also going to say, you know, with that is that are we willing to cause a little grief in other people? And if you get excited about that, if you're like, oh, pastor's going to give me freedom to speak into people's lives, painful things. And if you're getting a little excited about that, that's probably not something that God has given you to do right now. If you're just like, oh, I can't wait, I'm, gonna, I'm texting somebody right now. Don't text anybody. Put the phone down. Put the phone down. Paul wanted to see change in them. He wanted to stir the affections of God up past sinful ways. Repentance. And I think um, in our culture, uh, even in church culture, I, I think sometimes when we think and hear the word of, of repentance, we think about I'm sorry. Uh, if you've been married long enough, the words I'm sorry is almost as powerful as the words I love you when they're not followed by an action that communicates that truth. So a lot of times, what we're not talking about, worldly grief, will lead you to feel like, I'm sorry, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Godly grief leads to repentance, and here's what repentance is. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. So repentance isn't just acknowledging that I shouldn't have done this, or shouldn't have done that, or I feel guilty or bad about it. It moves us out of this place of going, hey, I don't want to act in this certain way. I want to change the way I think so that I change the way I act. Uh, Matthew says it this way in uh, Matthew 3, verse 8. It says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. To say that I'm sorry and not change a behavior or not do something different, you're not really sorry. Repentance is moving us outside of this like way of thinking so that it changed the way that we actually do, where we bear fruit in it. Verse 10 says, For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief only produces death. Let me talk about two individuals that give you a picture of what this is. Godly grief that moves to repentance and salvation, and worldly grief that leads to death. Those two people, um, both disciples, both disciples who disobeyed and did something wrong to Jesus. Uh, And they are Peter and Judas. So Peter, if you remember the story, was one of Jesus' disciples. He, I I love Peter, because Peter, he didn't get everything right, and he did did dumb things, and sometimes his, his, his words passed. Um, his ability to do them. He would just pronounce things. And, and so on the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, Peter, when Jesus is saying, hey, one of you is going to betray me and you're all going to leave, Peter's like, no, not me. I will die with you. <laughs> and Jesus is like, oh, oh, sure you will. No, no, no. Before the end of the night, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And, you know, of course, Peter doesn't believe him. And guess what Peter does? He denies him three times. And I don't remember which one of the Gospels, but one of them gives this picture that he actually, when the rooster crows, he looks up and he makes eye contact with Jesus, and he is broken. You're talking about a godly grief. I mean, he is broken. He runs away. Judas, on the other hand, betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And in his betrayal, he leads the arresting party to Jesus. They arrest him. Judas feels 
bad. And he feels sorry that he has betrayed an innocent man. So he takes the 30 pieces of silver and tries to give them back to the religious leaders and say, you know, I've done wrong. And they're like, we don't want that. That's blood money. You've done your deal like sorry. Well, worldly grief moved Judas to hang himself to death, literally. And I think part of that is because Judas, even in that moment when he called Jesus innocent, he had no idea who Jesus actually was. Because he said, I have, I have wronged an innocent man. I, he didn't say, like, I've wronged the Messiah, I've wronged the Christ, where Peter confessed who Jesus was and got it right. Judas still had no clue who Jesus was. He just thought he was, you know, a leader that was going to lead people to, you know, like most of the Jews of the day, they wanted a Messiah that was going to free them from Roman occupation. And Jesus had no intention of freeing them from Roman occupation. He had a desire to free them from sin and lead them to life. And Judas, although sorry he was, it didn't move to repentance and salvation. Peter, uh, after his denial, he, he went back to doing exactly what he did before, which was fishing. He was out on a boat fishing with the other disciples. And Jesus, after the resurrection, is on the the shore um, with a fire with some fish. And one of the other disciples, I'm assuming Peter didn't have good eyesight because he didn't see this. um, One of the other disciples was like, hey, that's that's Jesus. And, And Peter didn't allow his shame or guilt to hide him on the boat. He threw off his coat. And he jumped in the water and he swam to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus did this restoration thing. You can go read about it in the Gospels where Jesus said, Hey, if you love me, feed my sheep. And and Peter's like, You know I love you. And Jesus is like, If you love me, feed my sheep. And I don't have enough time to go into all the words that were used that were a little different. Um, They used different words for love. And, And Jesus kept doing that. You know my heart, feed my sheep. And Peter was moved to repentance, which changed him. And then just a few days later, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, was deposited in this man. And this man stood up and preached a sermon to thousands of people where 3,000 men plus women and children got saved. That's the difference between a worldly grief and a godly grief. Godly grief moves you to change who you are. Were. And that's who Peter was. I, I think that was the struggle that was going on in Peter's life. Peter still thought Jesus, because he was willing to die for Jesus, because he thought Jesus was going to occupy the throne that David had. And he wanted to be in the, in the, in the tier of his leadership. He wanted to be like, like with John and James on the right and left-hand side of the ruler. Jesus wanted to set up a different kingdom. See, repentance is necessary for salvation. John the Baptist said this, repent for the kingdom is near. Jesus said this in Matthew 3. Uh, Peter said this in Acts 2. Repentance has, see, we have to change the reality that thinks that we are our Savior. We don't say these words, but we say this, that we aren't God. Every struggle that you have internally, every place where godly grief will, will creep in on you is where you have pushed yourself into the position of being king, ruler, and God of your life. You're like, I, I'm not saying that. Every time you choose 
something other than you know what you should be doing. Every, when you choose something that is contrary to what God has said, you are putting yourself in position of being ruler and king. Now, your kingdom may be only your life, but that's the same thing. We have to get to a place that we're laying those down. See, repentance is not the same thing as sorrow or feeling bad. Repentance comes out of godly grief, but not worldly grief. The first thing you notice is that repentance is not identical to grief and regret over sin. It is not just the acknowledgement of like, oh man, I've done this again. It is the result of these emotions to feel sorry, to feel grief or guilt or regret over past sin is not the same as repenting. Repentance is a change of attitude or behavior that results from the feeling of remorse over sin. I think it would be wise to say that godly regret is the first step of repentance. And repentance follows and completes our change of heart. Although I am, I'm not going to get into a ton of things that uh, maybe it would be helpful if I had a list of just things that I could throw at you to be like, this is what you should receive godly grief from. I'm not going to list out a sin because I may miss yours and you go, okay, then I'm good. Like he didn't say my sin, he said yours, so you better fix that. What I'm going to lean into is that God wants to set us free through godly grief so that we can live the life that he has offered to us. See, confession and repentance steals the power of the enemy to condemn and shame you. Some of us in this room have stepped over the line and are children of God. And you've repented. You've, you've changed minds, would have changed action. You're not perfect. You're not doing everything correctly, but you're moving in that direction. And if you're not careful, even though you know that's the truth, the enemy will come in and go, you remember when? You remember when you did that? I mean, there's things in my life that I'm like, I wish I could just scrub my brain and never think of this stupid thing that I did when I was 18 or 19 or 20. Or last week, I don't know. Like, I, I wish we could just step away from that. And this is where godly grief moves us to the place that we have freedom in it. But we need to be very careful that in our freedom we don't allow the enemy to put on us things that God has freed us from. So you need to ask yourself, when you're feeling that, even right now, you could be going, man, I know I've prayed for forgiveness. I know I've, I'm, I'm changed in that way. And you could hear the enemy's voice just declare over you, are you? What, what, about, what about this and what about that? And, and I just encourage you that if he set you free, don't go back to bondage. So here's a, a question for you. And I'll ask it again in just a second. But where's your grief leading you? When you're aware of a, a sin issue in your life, what do you do? When you, when you blow it, I feel, I'm reading this book right now, um, if you just want to like hone in um, the beauty of God's gift of marriage, of shaping and molding you, it's a, a book called um, Sacred Marriage. Uh, Gary Thomas, you should, you should read it. It's brutal. His little byline, byline of the book says, um, what if God's intent for marriage was to make you holy and not happy? 
And so one of the things that God uses to expose your sin nature are people around you. The spouse that you're married to who is imperfect and is going to give you an opportunity to practice patience and grace and mercy. They don't think that. They think they're just doing whatever they're doing. But God's given you an opportunity to practice that over and over again. And then if a wife or a husband isn't enough to change you, God gives you this other gift called children. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you, I mean, not that I've perfected being married. I have not. Ask my wife. I'm better. I'm, I'm, I'm moving in the right direction for sure. But man, like having children that begin... Now, I know everybody's like, I can't wait until my kids can relate to me and we can use words. No, like I would give anything at times to just have them go and just scream and want something. And I don't know what they want because when they begin to logically argue with you, and a lot of times they're right. God uses all these things to shape and mold us. And I don't know how many times I've been moved to grieve, to grief to regret, to shame how I've spoken to and treated my kids. My oldest is 21, and um, she loves coming to our house and and eating uh, food. (laughs) She came over last night, and she texted me beforehand, and she was like, hey, Dad, uh, could you you wash my car? And I'm like, sure, (laughs) sure. I was like, hey, can you get here, you know, I'd like to do it before dinner so that I can take a shower and, you know, like sit down at the table without being gross. And she told me a time that she was going to be there and she was 35 minutes late. And guess what I did? I still washed the car. Was I gracious and nice about it? No, I just put on headphones and ignored her and washed the inside and outside of her car. And then later on last night, she was like, there's a film on my windows. (laughs) This is a free car wash here, people. Send it to the complaint department. But you know what? And this is, this is the godly grief that God is, is trying to hammer on me. I only have so much opportunity to speak in and love on my children. The older they get, the less time I'm going. I, I, I forget someone said, um, in the first 18 years, you spend you know, pretty much those 18 years in and around them. Um, I think the time combined after they turn 18, the rest of the life that you have with them, um, if you boil it down, is about a year of time spent with them that you get to hang out with them on the weekends once they start having kids. You know, it, it's reduced. And I'm burdened and I'm, I'm grieved internally because, like, I want my children, because I understand maybe more than you do because I preach the gospel, is that my kids want to see Jesus in me. And a lot of the problem, even yesterday, where I willingly still cleaned the car, but I didn't have a great attitude about it is that I want them to see the grace and mercy of Jesus in me. And I want it to change me. And I'm like, over the last year, God has been in my face over and over again. How will, I don't, he doesn't care that I do the thing. He cares about how I act while I'm doing the thing. Because I'm, I'm a doer. I will serve my children and I will, I will do whatever they ask, but am I, am I showing them Jesus in the how I'm acting when I'm doing it. Yesterday, I did not. I wasn't mean at all. I mean, it wasn't like, get out of here, girl. I mean, I just went to work. I'm a worker. I go clean that car inside and out. Wheels are clean. I I clean her car more than I clean my car, (laughs) which is sad. 
Where is your godly grief leading you? Are there things in your life that you're aware of that you want Jesus in? And are you inviting him to that over and over again until it's resolved? See, Jesus doesn't want you to be okay with the sin lifestyle in you because it will consume you just like cancer. It will eat you up. Verse 11. Just for see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. And so he writes this painful letter. He's waiting for a response. He gets a response that they are actually walking it out. Their, their grief moved to repentance, which moved to salvation. And he's reading here in verse 11. He's so grateful that they're showing over and over again that they're continuing to respond correctly. See, this is why Paul is rejoicing at the grief he caused because it led to life. And it's seen and recorded here. So here's two things. And really, without the first one, don't even consider it. Like, if you're, if you're not walking in the first one, ignore the second one. The first one, are you willing to accept godly grief? Are you willing to open up your Bible and when it looks you in the face and says, you're wrong, this behavior, this heart attitude, this sin is not okay, are you willing to allow it to do something in you that moves you to repentance and salvation? Are you willing to allow people in your life to speak that to you? When they see behaviors, when they see attitudes. See, here's the most dangerous thing about church. And 73% of you have elevated that by joining a community group and by being around people even more. The most dangerous thing about church is that people might actually get to know you. Because I'm telling you, for an hour and 15, hour and 15 minutes, you can hide your sin. You can hide the attitude. You can hide the heart issues. You can, you can smile. You can put your armor on your spouse, even if y'all haven't touched physically and whatever. You can hold hands like, honey, we're all there. And then you can walk away and, and live that way. But the, the longer you're around people, the longer they get to know you, the more they get... Um, into the circle of what's really going on, you uh, allow people to have an opportunity. And this is what we want. We want you to get into a place that you build a relationship where someone loves you enough that they see something going around, on, going on in your life, and they have the boldness to cause it, cause a godly grief when they, they point out something, when they see something. There's nothing more painful when someone... See something that you know is there that you thought was hidden. And some of you are like, I'm withdrawing my, um, my sign-up. I'm not going to a community group because I don't want to be found out. Um, if you're not found out, what is a minor issue right now will end up destroying you, your marriage, your family, everything else. So it's a whole lot better to right now with people who love you to get around them enough so they can see things going on in your life and go, I, I want this. Like, I, I, <clears throat> um, I've been meeting with uh, Pastor Chris of Crosswinds 
Uh, we have coffee almost every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. or 8.30. Um, and I want him to ask me questions. I want him to know me enough that he can go, I don't, you know, you need to work on this. Like no one in this room is above someone else looking at you in the face and saying, this isn't okay. You know, this show probably isn't good for you. This music probably isn't good for you. This, <laughs> this social media probably isn't good for you. This relationship probably isn't good for you. So for you to be willing to allow the Word, to allow your friends, and to allow me or whoever's preaching up here to speak something to you that may cause a little pain that moves you into health. And so ultimately that's what I want from everyone first. Are you willing to allow God access to you and to start working on something? And at some point... Um, I would love to ask you, would you be willing to cause a little godly grief? Not worldly grief, godly grief. And if you just got excited about giving it to somebody, like I said earlier, you're not ready for this. But when you see things in your friends, are are you willing willing to potentially lose a a friendship to speak truth to someone? Because some people in this church may need you to lovingly say, hey, this isn't okay. Um, some of us have, have been lied because you hear part of a verse and um, our social media culture or little reels or TikTok or whatever has a way of taking um, a little bit of a truth and they, they pollute it. So you may have heard that you know Christians shouldn't judge. And that's not true. Um, Christians should judge rightly. So the, the, what they typically pull that from is this interaction that Jesus says where, you know, we shouldn't judge, at least we should be judged, but he, he gives this illustration about, you know, that we should remove the plank out of our own eye before we try to take the speck out of our brother's. But the truth is, is that he wants us to judge rightly. We still end up taking the speck out, but we have to deal with our own first. And so some of us need friendships. Like some of you right now are so aware of the, the tightrope you're walking on that you could fall into this crevice that you may never get out of if you don't have people to just point out things in your life. See, godly grief moves to a place that is good. It moves to a a place that produces repentance in us, where we change not only our thoughts, but we change our actions. And godly grief leads us to salvation. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. So where's your godly, or where's your grief? Let's just call it that. Where's your grief leading you? Hopefully it's leading you to the truth that um, you're not God. As much as you may think I know, I'm not God either. Um, I'm doing the best I can to, to love the life that God has given me and love the wife that he's given me for the last 25 years and the children uh, that I have. And I want to hear this phrase uh, when I end this journey, well done, good and faithful servant. And my goal and mission in life is to help produce in you um, a reality that gets to that same place. But we can't get to the place of well done, good and faithful servant if we're unwilling to deal with the 
little pain that comes when things in our life need to be dealt with. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do as we end and uh, have another song, um, we have prayer people in the room, just like I said, if they're wearing an orange um, lanyard or if they have a, a lanyard that says prayer team. I encourage you, if there's things that are going on, that the, the Holy Spirit, that your conscience, whatever, is, is bringing to the light, and you just need somebody to pray with you, like don't leave today thinking that you'll figure it all out. Because if you could fix you, you would have fixed you already. Um, We need other people. We need people around us. And I just encourage you, as you finish, uh, we we finish this service and we have another worship song, that you have a conversation with the Holy Spirit just to say, God, I'm aware of this. Because if he's bringing things to your attention, if there's little lights that are popping like, yes, I, I, I need help here, I need help here, acknowledge that and lay those at his feet and say, hey, I want to give you those. And, and help me walk that out. You won't have freedom from something that you will ignore. It'll continue to control you. It'll continue to rule your life. But when you begin to lay it at the feet of Jesus, there's freedom for it. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to go into worship and then we'll close service. Uh, Dearly Father, I don't know what's going on in people's lives. I don't know where you're trying to stir um, some godly grief, cause a little bit of pain that will move them out of this thing that's trapped them, enslaved them. And Lord, I, I pray that you would break chains today. Not by our power or our goodness or our righteousness, but you would break chains through your power and your goodness and your righteousness as we trust you. Lord, we openly acknowledge that we're not God. We don't know all the things that you do, but we just want to follow you. We want to be your children that pick up our cross daily and and do our best to worship and love you and love others. We need you in that. Lord, there's things in our life that we need to correct, and I just pray this morning that you would cause enough pain that it would move us to action. And maybe that action is finding a, a prayer Um, counselor at the end of that. Maybe that action is having a longer conversation with somebody. Lord, but would would you allow us to be willing to receive it? Lord, I I pray that we would ask for it. Not worldly grief, but godly grief that moves us to repentance and leads us to salvation. And Lord, for those in this room that maybe are even struggling with the reality of are you good enough Will you accept them? Will you love them? Will you want to lead them out of this place? Lord, I I pray that they they would see the gospel. They would see the good news of our Father allowing His Son to put on skin and live here, showing us how much He loves us. Lord, I pray that we would trust in You and Your means for salvation for us. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com.